Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Pastor John McDougall, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. Good to see you. Thanks for being here today. Hope, hope it's been a good week and Last week, I was just reflecting on how we walked out of the doors, hopefully just lit up to be His church. That was the, the big idea out of Acts chapter 2, and just a, a glimpse of when the church of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ, is healthy and strong, it, it's a, an unstoppable force for good in this world, a source of God's glory and our joy, and just neat to uh, see, Jerry, remember the five marks of a healthy church we, we talked about last week? And we went through those, the, uh, the first we saw, there was a, a bold witness, and then we uh, moved into that picture of devoted, and devoted, did, did anyone break some bread this week together with, uh, just lit up to, hey, let's get together, fellowship, uh, devoted to, and then we moved on to that picture of the church, early church was filled with awe, and just awake to the wonder of what God was doing around them, then a, a radically generous church. And then following Jesus together. So today, the text we're going to go into, Acts chapter 3, it's as if Luke goes to that list of five marks of a a healthy church, and he clicks on number three, or double clicks, and it, it opens up to a moment that we get to relive, an actual sign and wonder moment that, that we will experience. And so our game plan is to relive this moment from three different vantage points. As the story plays out, there are three perspectives that that we will take, and each perspective raises a unique question and a really an important question for us to answer because in the answer, we are equipped with what what we need for our own faith journey. So that will be the, the, the route we're going. Now, the danger, though, is in this moment of just high activity, it's a narrative, and we get to see lots of things happening, there's something bigger going on, and I'll just tell you up front, and then just so you can be watching for it, and it is the grace of God on display. A picture is, if we were to look outside and say, you know, all of a sudden, uh, two cats got in a fight out there, and there's, man, that's going to own our attention. We're watching these cats, and who's going to win, whatever. But, but the activity, the danger is we look at those cats, and the sunlight of God's the sunlight shining is what really illuminates the whole scene and really is the big picture. God's grace over this scene and flowing through this scene and really um, for us to see and soak in is, is the big picture that we, that we want to see. And so to help us to posture our, ourselves in this position and to, to explain why it's so important we never lose sight of His grace and we look for His grace in this moment, I'd like to invite you into a place that I'm sure is not on your top 10 list of places to go. The mechanical room of sermon preparation. Anybody want to join me there? Probably not. <laughs> but here is a quote that in the, as I develop a message each week, I often come back to. It was given to me several years ago through a, a, a seminar on preaching. I took Brian Chappelle, Christ-centered preaching, wrote the book on that. He said this, and here's the quote. Most preachers examine the text with the sole aim of teaching people what to do, duty, and what to know, doctrine. Both are crucial, and our ultimate goal is, what did God say in this text in both those arenas, and and we want to follow suit. But there is a higher goal 
teaching people who they are in Christ. The ultimate goal of a sermon is not simply proclaiming more duty and doctrine, but promoting a more dear relationship with God. It's that love. It all points to that. Isn't that a good just clarifier? It says this, and if the chief end is not so much about performance and competence, but glorifying and, and enjoying God a relationship, then how does that change how, what you look for in the text and what you may, may proclaim from God's word? You will look for how the text tells of, the, of God's grace to promote love for him. This, this quote is especially helpful for our text today. As I mentioned, it's high activity, high action. But I hope as we unpack this, you see with fresh eyes and with fresh wonder God's grace, his undeserved favor that is poured out on us. We're going to witness his empowering grace, his healing grace, his saving grace, his confronting grace in some ways that are life-changing. And, the, and again, the, the danger is, I feel this sometimes as we leave here, and I just pray this isn't how you feel, but, but even I'll, I'll admit, sometimes I feel like I come to God's Word and I get a list of imperatives, and it's five more things I need to do this week to, to be faithful to God, and, and it weighs me down. It starts like, I can't keep up. It's just, and, I'm, and, and it gets heavy. Following God gets heavy, and then I hear Jesus say, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Take my yoke upon you, my teaching. Learn from me. I'm gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So following Jesus isn't meant to be this cumbersome, like, ah, I'm never measuring up. It's actually to be a thing that's restful, life-giving. As we walk with him, and you say, how does that happen? I believe it happens as we walk in the sunlight of his grace. Guys, as we understand his grace, it, it just, you realize there's nothing I can do that is going to make him love me any more, any less than he does now. And, and even as I do good, it's only by his grace. And so that's, that's where we're going here. Quick illustration just to bring it down to um, hopefully just help us remember it is the, the idea of uh, what is your favorite potato chip or your favorite salty thing? Anybody, if you had one day to live and you had one bag of chips that you could have, which ones would you pick anybody want to shout out calvin you got one sun chips all right hey thank you oh pretzels just straight up pretzels oh yeah good anybody what's that cheddar sour cream ruffles and we're <laughs> thanks pringles yeah we're all getting hungry now sorry we, we did a thing as a staff where everyone brought, was told, bring in your favorite bag of chips, and then we're going to guess who's, go, who's goes with who. And it was a fun team-building thing. But it caused me to reflect on my love relationship with potato chips. When it all began, and crazy deal, I actually remember the moment. It was in second grade. I was sitting at the cafeteria in the school when I ate my first sour cream and onion potato chip. <laughs> and it was like heaven came down and glory exploded on my taste buds. And that moment, what, what happened in that moment when I experienced the wonder of a sour cream and onion potato chip? I wanted more. I tasted and saw that those were good. And I wanted to talk about them. I remember going home like, Ma, you got to buy some of these at the grocery store and sharing with people. And so it is in our relationship with the Lord. As we think about being a witness, 
It, it really flows out of tasting and seeing the goodness of God, isn't it? His grace. It's like he is so, so good. And we see his goodness and his grace in this text. So with that in view, three questions will work us through this text. The first one is this. What do you do when God's grace works through you? What do you do when God does a work through you to help somebody else, blesses you through somebody else? It may be his common grace as you do your work as worship and you become good at it, and then it helps somebody, and they're like, you are, thank you. Or maybe through his special grace, through your spiritual gift as you're serving the body of Christ and you're just being faithful to serve, but his grace flows through you to somebody else. What do you do in those moments when God's grace flows through you? We, uh, we find the answer as we watch this play out in Acts chapter 3. And so if you would join me there, Acts 3, we'll, re- we'll read through the whole text and, and then we'll unpack the answer. Verse 1 says, and Peter, one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. So we know in the Jewish culture, two times of prayer, nine o'clock, three o'clock, this is the, the afternoon time. And there was a man who was lame from birth being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple. When Peter and John uh, so when he saw J- Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money, and Peter looked straight at him, as did John, and then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, and famous line and so good, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. And then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Isn't that an awesome picture? And uh, I can imagine someone saying, hey, didn't your mom teach you not to jump in church? And he's like, I can't help it. (laughs) He's praising God, so happy, jumping for joy. Verse 9. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement. So there's that, filled with awe at what had happened to him. Verse 11, while the man held on to Peter and John, and that picture of just clinging to him out of gratitude, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our, by our own power and godliness we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers. Now, this is an interesting pivot point. You'll want to remember this for later on. If he had just stopped there, all these people would be in agreement, right? But he goes on. This God has glorified his servant Jesus you handed him over to be killed. You disowned him before Pilate. It's like you, you took this one that God glorified and gave him to the Gentiles, to this Roman ruler, though he had decided to let him go. You, you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you, Barabbas. And you killed the author of life. But God raised him up from the dead, and we are 
circle the word, witnesses of this. What's the calling of, of the Christian? The calling of the, these first century Christians, our calling as well, it's right here. You are witnesses, or we are witnesses of this, of the resurrection of Christ. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man who you see and, and know was made strong. It's in Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all his prophets. So that he's pointing back to Isaiah and the others that, who, who predicted that the Messiah would suffer. So what's the response? Verse 19, repent then and turn to God. This is a beautiful picture of, of God's grace, so that your sins would be wiped out, the times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to, you might circle this in your Bibles, hope, hope just explodes out of this, for God to restore everything as he has promised through his holy prophets. Okay, so what do you do when God works through you is the question. The answer in a word is witness. And the answer in emotion is duck and point. I mentioned this before, but this is that idea of when praise comes our way, when God's grace is flowing through us, blessing others, and they look to us, the applause comes, we duck and we point to Jesus Christ. What's so encouraging about this moment, I think, as we watch Peter is that, that he stays locked in on his life mission, even as the social environment around him changes. Now, Earlier, when he was around the campfire, the fire, and they said, don't you know Jesus? And he denied the Lord three times. He was facing some rejection. But what's he facing now? It might be even more dangerous than rejection. What's he facing? Praise. Applause. What's the threat when God works through you? That Peter faced, that we face? It's that we would take a cut of the glory, a cut of the credit, that we would begin to live for my name, for our name, and his name, versus his name alone. Rather than all of a sudden when people start to appreciate who we are and what we've done for them or whatever, and we, why rock the relational boat to talk about Jesus and risk relationship and confront somebody with the reality of that apart from Christ, they're headed for an eternity Apart from God, when we just keep it here, it's good. We're, we're, we're friends now. Everybody's happy. Can you imagine what Peter must have felt as they come to him? And the text says, with awe in their eyes. Like, why do you look at, he says, uh, why do you look and stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we did this? You know? <laughs> So the crowds are looking at Peter and John like, you guys are amazing. You, you just heal this guy. To which, in Peter's mind, he could have been thinking, okay, this is the moment. They love me. Let's create a following. So, guys, here's the deal. He preaches this. He, gets, he says, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob did this. Everybody's happy with that. So, you guys go home think about this and invite a friend back tomorrow at three we're gonna have the second another service and I'm gonna preach Peter's gonna preach tell him the rock is gonna preach and we're gonna do this for about 
four weeks until we have a following. And, and when we have a following, then I'm going to tell them about Jesus. But he doesn't. Why? Because he knows he wasn't here to create a following. He was here to be a witness of Jesus Christ, whatever that would cost him. He loves these people enough to share the hard truth so that they might repent, turn to the Lord, and receive the gift of eternal life. The beauty of this moment is that Peter never loses sight of his purpose. He's locked in to be a witness for Jesus Christ. Why do you stare at us as if by our own power and godliness we made this man walk? And he ducks and he points to Christ. We are witnesses of this. He died for your sin. He rose from the dead. And he offers eternal life to everyone who believes. So what do you do when God works through you, pours his grace through you, and appreciation comes your way? It's the duck and point. We witness and duck and point. I can hear someone thinking, well, I'm not sure God's grace is working through me. Uh, Peter, yeah, first century, and this was a was a unique display of God's grace that, that it was for the apostles, but the guys, it is equally true today that if you know Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells you for the purpose of empowering you to be a witness for, for Christ. It's the same power that Peter experienced is at work in your life and in your relationships. I love the way Peter says it in First Peter chapter 4, verse 10. He says, um, be faithful stewards of God's grace as you use your gifts stewarding his grace in all of its uh, various ways and so the challenge from this is what do we do when uh, when God works through through us we witness duck and point second question is this and, and we'll take this one from the vantage point of the beggar what do you do when God's grace works in you when God works in you what do you do in those moments it may be just the common grace of for this beggar it was just taking a step what if we all stood up right now and we just took a step? And uh, do we need to do that? Wake up? Would that help anybody? Nah, we'll let you guys, we'll stay seated. But imagine we all stand up and take a step. Who gave us the ability, the grace to take that step? It's our, it's God. That's that common grace. But think about taking a step spiritually. Who gives us the grace to, to follow God by faith and to, to be like Christ, to do good? It's, it's Him. Every step we take physically, spiritually, it's His grace working to us. So what's our response to that? When God gives us grace, what is our response? And that's what we see in the, the picture of this beggar. We are Him, aren't we? And can you imagine it? We know this text. This, how long was this guy a beggar? How many years had he been a beggar? His entire life he had been lame. Not able to take a step. He had never taken a step in his life. Never run with his friends. Never known what it was looked like to, to stand eye level and look at somebody face to face and then take that step. We know in the text that uh, later on in chapter 4 that he's 40 years old. So all hope of healing or getting better is plummeting. How many, do we have anybody over 40 years old? Can I get a witness? Does it get better after 40? How many, does it give, actually, I think it does. I think, I'm, I feel, I'm feeling stronger today in some ways than I did at 19, primarily mentally, but hey, <laughs> but, uh, but, but this guy, 40 years old, he's thinking, in this culture too, life expectancy was less, and he's thinking, no way am I going to, there's no hope of healing, but then, can you imagine what he must have felt when Peter says, look at me, look at me, I, I, I feel the humiliation he must have felt as, who, how did he get to the temple? Some friends carried him. Every day you have to be carried 
dropped on the ground and hold your hand out to get your next meal. When Peter says, look at him, I can't help but wonder if he's indicating the guy didn't look at people. Didn't have the, the dignity or just hand out and here we go again. But then to hear Peter say, silver and gold I do not have and the confusion or disappointment. But then to hear him say, but what I do have in the name of Jesus, I give you walk. To which he must have been thinking, I can't, I'm late. And then to see Peter reach down, right, the text says, with his right hand and, and lift him up. And immediately his legs became strong. And don't you love the way Luke the doctor describes it as, you know, he, he's strong and then he walks with them into the temple, jumping and leaping. And what's really neat, a, a side note, one of the signs of the Messiah that Isaiah gives us, 700 years earlier in Isaiah 35 verse 6 is, the lame will, and it's the same word Luke uses, leap like a deer. <laughs> the Messiah is here. It's the sign. And, but can you imagine being this guy? And what I love about this picture is it gives us one to carry with us this week. Guys, what should be the posture of our lives as we receive the grace of God, which we do constantly? The answer is one word, praise. Praising God and jumping for joy. Jumping for joy. Now I know outwardly we don't jump for joy, but inwardly, um, every day can be a day that we jump for joy, even as we go through the hard moments of life, knowing that our future is settled, it's got us, um, the shepherd is with me in these valleys, and joy can be a, a constant, even when I'm going through a tough, a tough, tough season. I love this, uh, this picture of the, the beggar being us in our salvation, and you think about where we were before God, apart from His grace and being poured out upon us, we were worse than lame. We were dead in our sins, Scripture tells us. And yet God in His grace, I love the fact that Peter stops and, and then God pours his, the compassion to stop, but then the, the grace being poured out. And it's a reminder of, of our situation before God that he speaks of in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, where he says, but because of His great love, God's great love, who is rich in mercy, he made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. Here it comes. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed to us in kindness in Christ Jesus, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. And as we watch this lame man jumping and, and leaping and praising God, it, it's just a reminder of our, the joy of our salvation, isn't it? And just to be reminded every day, I can, I'm alive today, forever alive, because of God's grace. There was a day I couldn't walk after God. I was bondage to sin, chained to my sin, and today I've been set free. I can follow him, and I have a beautiful, beautiful future. Now, we know this guy probably, at some point, the exuberance of his first steps faded into a, a more placid, steady joy and devotion. I'm sure he's not jumping for joy every day of his life, but I can't help but think every time he enters the temple and walks by the, the, the place where he was healed and enters through the gate, beautiful, Every time, I'm sure he's praising God, isn't he? 
And I can't help but think every time he does a little hop as he goes through or a jump or something, just to remember that moment. And I was thinking about us coming to church. And you know, every time we enter this place, it's a time to, again, remember God's grace, undeserved favor that he's poured out on us to, to give us all that we have in Christ. And every time we gather, it's a chance to praise him, isn't it? Wouldn't it be cool if every time we walked through the doors, we all did a little jump? little hop it was our liturgy it'd be a little weird though for people who are, are visiting this so we won't do that <laughs> save the hamstrings but uh but inside we can can't we jump for joy praise god as we bask in the the sunlight of his grace and then the uh, and and one uh, today we're excited to welcome the dubinsky family into our church family doobie and, and rosanna and so uh welcome them yeah Tam, Tam and I had the, the gift of sharing a, a home-cooked Italian meal with them, which I, I have not had eggplant and chicken parmesan like that this side of heaven. It was awesome. And so you, you guys have a sign-up sheet. We can all, uh, we'll, we'll make that available. But, but afterwards, just hearing their faith story and God's grace in their lives, but also being poured through them, it left me thinking, let's praise you, Lord, for them. And why us? Why, why would you lead this family to our church family in a good way? Like, man, it's a, uh, and just a window into their story. Um, they met 18, 19 high school students in the drum and bugle activity in New Jersey. And it's that uh, common love that would bring them to the Midwest. But uh, Rosanna writes, in the meantime, they dated four years after college and um, Rosanna went to teach second grade. Doobie taught band classes at his former high school and supplemented his salary with drum corps work. So almost four years later, they were blessed with their son, Rob, and then two years later, their daughter, Allison. And they described this time of life as they loved their time with family and with uh, their close-knit Italian family. But in those early years together, God was also stirring in our hearts to seek him more intimately. Rosanna was grieving the loss of her dad a few years earlier who died of cancer, and Doobie knew in his heart that there had to be more to life than drum corps victories. Although, side note, he did win three national champions, drum title, national drum titles, and uh, as good as life seemed, though, something was missing. Their uh, religious experience was one of, of a tradition and a form of religion, but there remained a distance from God that they couldn't explain. That close relationship was, was not there. When they finally agreed to attend a different church and then a Bible study, and, and Rosanna's brother came back from the military sharing his, uh, that he had a personal relationship with God through faith in Jesus, things began to change. For Rosanna, seeing God's free gift of salvation offered in Ephesians 2 was so exciting and liberating. The realization that, realization that she didn't have to work for God's approval um, filled her with peace that had been missing. And Doobie says that while hearing a teaching from the book of Revelation, he couldn't resist God's call on his life. Who would? Was his reaction. These new relationships with Jesus would soon give them courage to reconsider or to consider a big life change, leaving extended family and the familiar in New Jersey and moving to the Midwest. It was very hard. But it was what God had for them, and he has proved faithful time and time again over the past 35 years. Doobie was the band director for the, uh, at Bloomington South High School until retiring in 2019, and Rosanna was a stay-at-home mom at, 
um, as they added a third child, Amanda, to the clan. Once all the kiddos were in school, she returned to early childhood field and in 2016 was called to the Ministry of Youth for Christ as a director to launch their parent life outreach to pregnant and parenting teenagers. She retired last year and they've moved to, uh, to the Plainfield area for this season of their life but are excited to be a part of our church family. They share it's been, um, there have been many happy and hard times over their 42 years of marriage. But the joy of having Christ real and present in their lives has been the constant gift they are grateful for. They love using their gift of hospitality and sharing homemade Italian food with whomever wants to give it a try. And they are thrilled to be a part of, of our church family and, and uh, feel that it is home. And as I was reading and just thinking about God bringing them to our church family, I, just that picture of grace, isn't it? Over the years, God's grace being poured out to them and now God's grace being poured through them and the result of, of praise. All right, so to the third question, what do we do when, and, and we'll take the vantage point of the crowd here. As the story plays out, what do we do when God confronts us or God confronts you with your failure? So as we, as we join the crowd, and imagine you're, you're standing there, you've come to worship, three in the afternoon, these are good people. Um, you're there, you, you love God, and you're ready to worship, and you hear Peter get up and say what he just said, not once. It's like Peter doesn't sugarcoat this. He holds up a mirror of their failure, and of your, if, if you were in that position, it's like he's saying, you have sinned against God in this way. And, and it's not like he says it gently at one time. It's like, pop, pop. Pop, pop. You handed him over to be killed when, when the Gentile ruler was trying to, to set him free. You disowned the holy and righteous one and you asked for a murderer to get free. When, when he was perfect, he had done no wrong. And then the clincher, the, like the knockout punch is you killed the author of life. Can you imagine? That, that's not like, oops. That's like, as a nation, the one we were waiting for, the Messiah, the, the one who, who came to set us free, we killed him. We, we crucified him. But God has raised him from the dead. What do you do when God confronts you with your failure? Whew. It's hard, isn't it, when... Somebody holds up a mirror, God holds up a mirror through his word or whatever, and uh, we realize, oh man, I messed up. But you know, when God confronts us with our failure, it's one of his most precious gifts of grace, isn't it? God didn't have to send a messenger into the temple for these very people who killed his son. He didn't have to heal this guy to be a jumping, living sign for the next, as long as this guy lived to these people that they couldn't ignore this guy who had been healed. You can't ignore him. And he's coming into the temple every day to praise God. Gifts of grace. The question is, what will they do? What do you do when God confronts you with your wrong? And Peter gives us the, the simple response. It is repent and turn to God. Verses 19 and 
to 21, he says, repent and turn to God. This is a, a double imperative. It really means the same thing. Repentance is a change of mind, metanoia. It's, a, uh, it's where we think differently about something. We, we change how we saw whatever situation we're, we're being called to change. But it's a change of mind that leads to a change of life. True repentance always leads to life change. We see it as we were kids growing up. We might be crying tears when we're in trouble of that look like repentance, but they're really just tears we're sad we got caught. We have to pay the price. True tears of repentance will lead to life change. No longer am I wanting my way. I'm wanting God's way, living a, a, a Christ-led life. And so he says, turn to God. What, what's he calling them to think differently about in this context? It's Jesus, who Jesus is and what he did for us. The normal way to think about God is we want to earn our way to, into his favor. Do enough good to be right, hopefully someday measure up and get into heaven. But he's saying, what, what Jesus came saying was, you can't do enough good to be right with God. I've come to do that good for you. I lived the life you couldn't live. I died for your sin debt so that you look to me, trust me, and then follow me. And your three results here, your sins, so that your sins may be wiped out. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Imagine today we had a whiteboard under your chair and you, you had to pull it out and write down the three things you've done that you're most ashamed of, that you know are wrong before God and others. And if somebody next to you sees that, they change their view of you just because they can't help but look. It's like, this is bad. And we've all, we all have at least three things that we would be ashamed for anybody to know. And God says, in Christ, when you trust me, that those worst things are wiped away, blotted out. This is the gift of God in Christ. And that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. The times of refreshing is the picture of the sanctification where we get to walk with God. We're not perfect yet, but he refreshes us and he guides us. And we know the joy of the Doobie and Rosanna were sharing of just him with us, even in the valleys, times of refreshing. And third, and that he may send the Messiah who has been promised to you even Jesus, to restore all things. That we might live with this happy hope, or it's called the blessed hope, or the hope that this is not the end, this is not our home. God is preparing a place for us where he will wipe away every tear. He's going to reverse the curse, and somehow even the most horrible moments of this life will fade into joy that will never end. This is the gift of grace, if we will turn repent and turn and so the question today in what way are, are you rejecting or is God confronting you in what way is God confronting you and this week it may have been or maybe it's the big picture of maybe you have rejected Jesus you haven't trusted him as your savior and that's your next step today and he invites you to, to follow him repent and turn to him trust him and if you have questions about that I would love to talk with you about that but I think most of us here are probably followers of Christ, and the question remains, in what way is God confronting you today with an area of your life that's not like Christ, that, that needs to change? And will you repent and change? Will you turn? Our tendency is to get defensive or to get, make excuses or to be um, rationalized. Or, it's hard, isn't it, to look at our failure. I, hate, as a, I don't know if it's... That way for guys and girls. I know for a guy, one of the hardest things for me is failure. I just hate that. And there's a tendency not to, to look at it. But it's so important that when God raises a, 
he confronts us in our sin, that, that we have the courage to face it. I found in counseling that it's, a, it's one of the toughest psychological places to go to, and people who will look at their failure will be healed. People who can't look at their failure are not healed. So what is it that maybe God has brought your way? Maybe it's something going on in your mind, in your heart, an attitude you know that you need to repent of. Maybe it's in a relationship, you need to forgive or seek forgiveness. This week I received a letter that, that rocked me as I opened it. It was um, from someone in our church family that I hurt. And immediately I called this person and asked their forgiveness, and, and she forgave me, and, and we're good again, back on the, the right track. But, but I kept, I've set that letter on my desk. It was a, I took it as a very firm uh, moment of correction from my father as I shepherd his church. And, and I want to learn from it. I want to grow. I want to change. And with his help, I will change. And so bringing it all together, what a uh, powerful picture of God's grace. As you think about the sunlight of his grace being poured out to Peter, empowering him to heal this guy, and then this, um, the, the grace going to this beggar and, and the gift of life, but then his grace flowing over to the crowd who did not know Christ and then today flowing over to us. Isn't it cool to think that this moment when God empowered Peter 2,000 years ago to heal this guy, it was for you and for me today. It's a really cool thought. Like this, his grace is overflowing even into this moment. It's a sign to us the Messiah has come. Repent and turn to God. And so, as we glimpse, as we, we bask in the wonder of God's grace, it leaves us asking three questions. What do you do when God's grace flows through you? And the, the answer in this text is witness. We duck and we point to Christ. It's a, a witness opportunity. What do you do when God's grace works in you? And the answer in a word is praise. Jump for joy. And a great image to carry with us today. And then what do you do when God confronts you? And the answer is repent and turn to God so that you may be, sins may be forgiven he will lead you into times of refreshing, give you a hope that's eternal. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just uh, thank you for this moment that we get to relive and, and uh, receive just your word to us. And God, I thank you for each person that's here today. And I know we each come into this room in different places and different um, out of lives that some, it's been a good week, some a, an excruciating week, and I thank you that you're faithful to meet us right where we're at and give us what we need, and I pray that you would take your word now and just help us to live on it throughout this week. I thank you for your grace, God, and just uh, the sunlight of your grace that's eternal, and it fills our hearts with praise, fills us with wonder, and it, and it makes us want to witness to you, for you. And so we uh, pray that you would just help us to do that as we go today. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.